Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to this week's edition of Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit. We're a few weeks out from the election now and a few weeks before the next inauguration of President Donald Trump, as he will be. And I want to start by throwing out a question. Obviously, Christians are very, have been very interested in politics, and the Trump election is one that has, in some ways, posed a significant challenge, because Trump is certainly not a conventional conservative doesn't appear to be a conventional Christian in any shape or form. And that raises, I think, issues for Christians as they come to think about how to look towards what they should expect from a Trump presidency. So I want to start by asking a question. Uh, This was a question that was posed to me in the form of a statement a few weeks ago. Did God intervene at the beginning of November to make Donald Trump president? What do you think about that? (laughs) Well, before the election, God was just kind of hanging out with his arms Mm -hmm. behind his head, relaxing, letting us run the show. Yes. And then all of a sudden. He um, saw that there were problems. Yeah. And um, so he had to reach down then and intervene, kind of like when I'm looking for a parking space. Yes. um, At Costco on one of those busy days. Mm -hmm. And I have to, you know, please, Lord, intervene and open up a parking space for me. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so refreshing. Yeah, well, you know, Amy makes the point, and I've had the statements made to me uh, through social media as well as in personal conversations, just gratitude, you know, gratefulness that on that Tuesday, the Lord, you know, intervened, and that very language has been used with me. And, of course, you, you have to at that point then explain that, you know, we don't believe that God, as Amy has kind of illustrated, sits back uh, relaxing in the heavens, and then when you notice there's a problem in America, he will graciously, in response to our prayers, intervene and give us Donald Trump as president. <laughs> um, the, the, the idea of God, quote, intervening yeah. um, is contrary to what we actually believe and confess about God's sovereignty. Yeah. 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 Certainly, if, if God was intervening, one would have hoped for a better person <laughs> to become president. So, he stepped into the breach at a particular moment in time. Right. Yeah. Did, God, did God really? He didn't intervene very well. He gave us a reality <laughs> television show, a television yeah. uh, star. No, and, and again, the, the, lest anybody misunderstand, we're not saying that God is not involved. Our, our problem is with the, the idea that he steps in and out. You know, this place he intervened. Well, no, God is sovereign, and he would have been just sovereign had Hillary Clinton won the election as he was when Donald Trump won the election. Well, clearly the election of Obama to two terms was part of God's <laughs> providence. Uh, his, his, that, that was an expression of his displeasure with America. <laughs> leave, you, leave your Facebook posts. <laughs> 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 trying yeah. not, trying yeah. not to be partisan here, merely theological. Right, yeah. Well, you know, Carl, your question that you opened us up with, you know, it, it, it just helps illustrate how much bad theology was going on throughout this entire 
electoral season on on both sides um some really bad theology really bad appropriations of of scripture one one that i saw repeatedly talking about facebook page here i'm talking about i'm talking about all the stuff i posted yeah um <laughs> No, I, you know, one thing that you all might have seen, I saw it repeatedly, was the was the appropriation leading up to the election of of Second Chronicles mm-hmm. seven. If my people who are called by my name will humble oh, themselves and pray, gosh. then I, oh yeah, that was all over. That's and and of course, the, the way. yeah, dreadful, the whole, dreadful. <laughs> well, the whole trajectory was if the church will pray now and humble themselves, God will hear by healing our land, i.e., giving us Donald Trump as president. And um, now, you know, obviously we hear that and it grieves us because, you know, this in many instances, those statements were coming from people who've sat under good preaching for years, but still make some of those um, those category errors, you know, as, as well. Anyway, the, the problems with that are myriad. But but that was that's an example of what was going on. And so it's important, I think, that, that Christians kind of train their minds, discipline themselves and how to think properly uh, theologically speaking about about politics because there are theolo- there are proper theological categories to employ but we saw some of the worst of it in recent months so if we think though of the specifically of the church what are there any positive things that the church can take from the election of Donald Trump let's do you know, hypothetically if Hillary Clinton had been elected what would what would be going worse for the church at this point? Both candidates are ultimately going to be balance sheets. There's going to be good and bad, I think, from both of them. What are the positives for the church of a Trump victory? You know, I, I think some of I'm, I'm hoping that and this coming from a man who I, I was not a supporter of either one of the candidates, major candidates. But I, I think that some of the decay that we've been witnessing in our public life as far as uh, legislation that has kind of given a fast track to the new sexual revolution. I'm hoping that with his election, it'll at least maybe slow some of that down. I'm hoping that uh, the voices that are around him will persuade him to keep his promises that he made regarding not just Supreme Court nominations, but federal judge appointments. You know, if, if nothing else, it can hopefully slow down some of the rot. Yeah. I also think, though, that there's some, there's definite issues that the church may have to address with just hurting people from this election. Some of the things that Trump has said about women, yep. particularly, there's a lot of devastated women. Yeah, yeah we need to be listening to that and um, really upholding the dignity of all human life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's unfortunate that that he mixed you know so for instance you you think about immigrants from other nations now you know i i I personally don't think it would be a controversial position to oppose illegal immigration however because of the irresponsible way that he went about communicating um, certain ideas you know we have brothers and sisters in christ you know when you when you have uh, the person who's going to be the most powerful political figure on the planet say things about your entire group so to speak that can be reasonably construed as threatening well we need to take that seriously you know if just as there were things that barack obama said about christians that made me feel pretty uncomfortable because he's the president he has a great deal of power and so i agree yeah yeah 
And I think, I, I mean, speaking here as an immigrant, a green carder, that rhetoric was specifically, I, I think, hit at people with different ethnicities. I didn't feel remotely right. intimidated by anything he said right. because he wasn't simply talking about immigrants. He was talking about particular colors of immigrants. Right. So that I think would be a distinct negative. I, I agree with Todd on the slowing down on the, the sexual revolution legislation. The, the most positive way I could put it is I think that Trump doesn't care one way or the other about religious freedom. Right. Hillary Clinton, even in her concession speech, makes some reference to freedom of worship. It's very, very clear the way that the, the Clinton mind was going on yes. freedom, freedom of religion, First Amendment issues. Yes. Trump, I think, is indifferent to that. And you know, sadly, at this point in America's constitutional history, we live at a point where indifference to religious freedom is about as good as it's going to get. Uh, mm. And therefore, I think on that level, the fact that Trump doesn't care means that we may have four or perhaps eight years where the process is slowed down or maybe even brought to a halt. I've no confidence that it will last long term, but perhaps the restrictions on religious freedom will come to a halt, at least temporarily at this point. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the things I noticed throughout this whole thing was, again, the public discussions involving Christians on this matter just really demonstrated some sloppy thinking, some careless thinking in regard to how we use and understand the Bible in regard to our, our politics and our politicians. And so it, it became, uh, you know, it became very serious for me as a pastor to try to have as many conversations with people as possible about this, because what I saw among a lot of folks was a, a very strong misplaced uh, trust in in a politician to be to, to, to be the means by which God was going to usher in revival mm-hmm. um, into into America and it's hard because on that's uh, never uh, happened before well yeah you know <laughs> that, that can become really problematic at times and listen I'm a patriot I'm, I'm a flag waver I'm a conservative uh, big surprise there but I'm also I'm also the guy who doesn't allow an American flag in in our worship center in our sanctuary Mm -hmm. because i don't want that sort of confusion of kingdoms i want lots of flags in the public square but not in our in our houses of worship and that confounds a lot of people and when you say things like look look america like every other kingdom is going to be a footnote in history one day that upsets some people who tend Mm -hmm. to see america as kind of the meaning of eschatological history yeah we're not that's a real problem. I think it comes out of, well, it, it's, it's not untypical for a nation to identify itself with the meaning of history at the zenith of its political power. Right. Britain did it towards the end of the 19th century. I think that America did it, you know, with the collapse of the, of the Berlin Wall, 1989. Yeah. It looked as if America was the end of history in terms of social arrangements and, and values, et cetera, et cetera. That has patently not the case anymore. It's been right. proved to be false. China is rising. India is rising. Islamic terrorism, fundamentalisms have arisen around the world, calling into question the liberal democratic project. It's very clear that the American way is quite possibly merely a temporary social arrangement that lasted for a few hundred years. Right. may last for a few hundred more. But it's not the heavenly city. 
Right. We as Christians, we're to live in this city, we're to, to seek the welfare of the earthly city as right. we live in it. Yes. But we're to keep our minds focused upon heavenly realities, yes. the things that don't pass away. Uh, so I think it's, it's good for the church that we're emerging out of a, a situation really where one might say Christianity was highly secularized in its vision. Huh. Yes. And that is mm-hmm. now being transformed. And it's a painful transformation, but it's a mm-hmm. necessary transformation. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I saw this particular election cycle is giving us an opportunity to do was to, to really reflect on that. Because never in my lifetime have the two major parties offered up two so apparently horrendous candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Hillary Clinton is arguably the worst political candidate in American history, and Donald Trump is right up there near the top as well. And so, I, I, on the one hand, perhaps naively, I saw this as an opportunity for the church to kind of, the American church to kind of refine her vision of what influence and power actually meant and doesn't mean. And I think in a few cases that began to happen. But I just saw in other corners just the doubling down of it, you know, whether you're talking Mike Huckabee or that or that tremendously horribly misguided article from Wayne Grudem. And then, you know, Robert Jeffries, pastor of of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Jerry Falwell, Jr. at Liberty. There was just this awful doubling down. Well, I think, too, calling a vote a Christian vote is is concerning to me, like from some of those statements. Um. You know, telling us how to vote as Christians, you know, there are mature, wonderful Christians in my church who vote differently than I do. You know, we care about the same things, but see different solutions to those things. And we're all Christians going to vote our conscience. Also, for once in my life, found myself in a voting booth not able to vote for either Mm -hmm. of the two major candidates. But at the same time... I'm trying to listen to the people who voted for one candidate or another and see you know, what it was that they were voting for, even though I have my own strong opinions. I mean, I just really think, and as pastors would like to ask you guys how the outcome now is affecting mm-hmm. um, congregational life in your church, because, you know, there can, especially when you see on social media, I mean, on Facebook, things can get pretty heated yeah, um, yeah. about this election. Very and, much so. Um, I know our pastor shared an article just through our church email written by Mark Deaver that was pretty good. And, and one line in it that I really liked was, the Christ we share is more important to us than the politics that we don't. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah and politics is complicated. Life is complicated. Yeah. Right. But you, you have to tick one box or the other in the voting booth. I've said this a, a million times. Voting is unnuanced. Politics mm-hmm. and philosophy are very nuanced. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a huge trade-off. Whichever way you vote in the, in, the, in the voting booth, there's going to be a huge trade-off. You're going to be voting for somebody, a proportion of whose policies are obnoxious to you. Right. But somebody's got to win, and you have to use that vote wisely in the way to influence the election in the best way possible. Right, right. So, so let me ask this then. Um, how do you, Carl, as a pastor, how do you, counsel people um, who had questions for you. I had lots of people asking me, who should I vote for? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I wrote Republicrat. I had nobody. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Nobody would have come to you about that, would they have? Seriously, no, nobody comes to I'm, 
to be honest, I'm a British guy. I'm yeah, therefore yeah. under suspicion always in Christian circles sure, on the political sure. front of being a bit liberal. Yeah. Nobody in my congregation came up to ask me that. I think for two reasons. One, they wouldn't trust me. <laughs> to <get it> <laughs> right. But two, also, I think we've cultivated a culture at our church where we don't do that sort of thing. Right. We're not going to micromanage your life. We're going to preach the word and trust that you'll use the word to act wisely in all areas of your life. Yeah. So, I was not asked how to vote by anybody, and I was very comfortable with that because mm-hmm. I don't think it's my task as a pastor to tell somebody how to vote. Right. And that's essentially when people would ask me who to vote for, I'd say, I cannot tell you that. I can't bind your conscience on that issue. Now, but read my Facebook and you'll know. But, but read my Facebook and you'll know. No, I, I, but I, what I did say was, you know, I can, I can tell you what I'm going to do, what I feel most comfortable with, but I, you, you should not take that in any way as a therefore this is what you should do you know this is how i've thought through it this is the issue these are the issues that are most important to me and what i've struggled through and the conclusion i've come to and but but that's just me speaking for me you know so i I tried i want to tell them how i'm struggling through it and try to honor the fact that they're coming to me really wanting some good kind of biblical counsel in thinking through this because this is this was such a different election um, it's difficult to vote. It really yeah, was. Yeah, but at the same time, kind of honor the boundaries I have as a pastor. Amy, your question is really good in in regard to the fact that okay, what about now some of the divisions in our congregations? Because in my church, you had pro-Trump folks and never Trump folks, but right. all coming from a, an essentially conservative direction of that. I, I suppose we've got some folks who might have been pro-Hillary, but but yeah, we had some Hillary people too. I mean, we but, have. Yeah, but they, they, you know, they hide. We make sure that, 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 <laughs> they, that they are under the furniture somewhere. But no, uh, but, you know, there are strong opinions and some real frustration among brothers and sisters on that. And, and one of the things that, I mean, I'm glad that I'm preaching through Philippians right now. Mm. And the, you know, here you have a, a church where Paul saw there were beginning to be cracks in their unity. And we just happened to be there through this time. Paul's challenge to them to be humble, to consider one another as more significant than themselves, et cetera, et cetera. That's just exactly what we've been in the midst of, mm. of preaching. And so once again, the word is timely and relevant. And uh, the pastor's role there to bring that to his people, as well as, as praying in the pastoral prayer, to pray that God would teach us to value each other and to see uh, our unity in Christ and not in a political candidate well anyway obviously we could we could go on and on about the subjects it's a big subject i think carl's absolutely right that there's lots and lots of nuance when it comes to politics and and lots of things that are worth valuing that at the end of the day when we're dealing with sinful people which all of our politicians are uh, we have to make some value judgments what are the the most essential things to us and and then pray that that god would be very merciful in the midst of of this person that we've chosen to vote for. As always, we in the body of Christ need to remember that what binds us together is Jesus Christ and him crucified and not a political party. The party platforms matter. The issues we're dealing with matter, but Jesus matters even more, and hope that we can keep that before us. We do want to offer our uh, our regular listeners a few uh, things that they can take advantage of. If you'll go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you'll see a chance to win a copy of Carl Truman's greatest and most important book, Republicrat. It will change your life. It is the Das Kapital 
of <laughs> Protestant confessionalism. At least you didn't call it the mind camp for the Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are offering copies of Republicrat. We are also offering some MP3s of a of an address called "The Sovereignty of God in Politics." And so both of those I think you'll find uh, helpful and encouraging. If you'll go to our website, you can register to win um, one of those items. Well, we're so glad that you chose us to join us today, and hope to uh, talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. You got to serve something, ain't that right? I know it gets dark, but there's always a light. You don't have to buy in to get into the club. Trade your worries. You gotta show up if you wanna be seen. If it matters to you, Ma, it matters to me. I'm gonna fall hard, yeah, I know I am. When the clouds crack up, I laugh with them. There ain't no man can save me. There ain't no man can enslave me. Ain't no man or man that can change the shape my soul is in. There ain't nobody here who can cause me pain or raise my fear cause I got only love to share. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... At what point do you say no? The the mandate for doctrinal purity overrides the mandate for church unity. How do you counsel younger pastors or men heading into the ministry regarding the role that their wife has as a counselor to them? What encouragement can you give to the local guy who, with the best will in the world, is never going to preach like... John Piper or Tim Keller, but is to be a faithful pastor, how can he be the pastor of his congregation? Well, I think the real lesson here is for men, and that is to go to the grocery store, men. (laughs) That interview is next time. Join us then. saying to me, do you read Todd's Facebook? And I say, I don't want to know what goes to Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, you know, I'm not that over the top. Uh... <laughs>